Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Liquidware Chats. This is the second episode which we recorded at the EUC Forum in London, and I sat down with none other than Samit Halvadia, who is the CTO at Remo3. Um, so we have a discussion about uh, Samit's background in EUC, then we talk about the apps, because it's all about the apps. And we talk about the joint value that our solutions deliver. And then we finish with a discussion about the hottest topic in EUC and in general in IT, AI. Really hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks very much. Thank How are you, you doing? Doing great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I am a little bit tired. I'm not going to lie. Landing at 1030 in the morning and, uh, and kind of getting to it. But I got to tell you, uh, it's super exciting because you've done these before, James, right? Mm. You end up in a situation where you're like, you know, I've seen all these guys, you know, I saw them in Munich. I saw them at, mm. in Nashville. And then you guys just, we all get together again. And the energy is through the roof. It's like, we haven't seen each other in years. Absolutely. So much has changed in three weeks. And, <laughs> and really that's kind of the great thing about it. Yeah, I, I, th I think it is. And um, I, I've been really impressed today by the attendance level. It's been, it's been a lot bigger than previous, I think. And you can see why they've done the evolution from CUGC to a vendor agnostic agnostic event. It's, yeah. it's made such a difference to the attendance number and the sessions have been really interesting. And, They've definitely been focused on apps, which is obviously we're in end user computing, we're delivering applications, it makes sense. Yeah. So, but we're not tied to a, a vendor platform, you know, it could be, you know, Citrix, VMware, Nerdio, it doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely been a theme of applications across, across the day. So it's, it's been really good. So getting back to yourself, um, can you tell us a bit about you and your background in the EUC? Sure. Sure. So, you know, I consider myself kind of uh, one of these outskirts, mm -hmm. the, the fringe use cases <laughs> of EUC, even though I've been in it for 20 yeah. years. Um, because when I look at EUC, and in fact, you know, to your point around the apps uh, being a central focus today, uh, employee, a leader inside of VMware who shall remain nameless, uh, leaned over to me today and he's like, how many times do you think they've said VDI today? And I'm like... Ooh, two? Yeah. Two that I've heard? Yeah. He's like, exactly. Yeah. It's all about the apps. Yeah. So if you have someone from VMware coming in here and saying it's all about the applications, you can start seeing the shift in the mindset yeah. around EUC being more app-centric. Absolutely. And the reason I bring that up is because when I'm talking about me being one of these uh, these rogue EUC <laughs> use cases, yeah. It's been because I'm I'm just an app nerd. Yeah. Right. So for me, the last 20 years have been a variety of different roles, mm. um, but they've all been around enterprise application management or some part thereof of the lifecycle process around enterprise app management. Well, I, I think that's that's part of the thing with the EUC. Sometimes we've been so wrapped up in the desktop management and how, you know, the appearance of but at the end of the day, all the user wants to do is access their applications in the easiest possible way. You know, if we think about the various different generations we're dealing with now, they want it as easy as a phone. They don't oh, yeah. want any complexity. If there's complexity, they'll just walk away. They don't, <laughs> they don't like complexity. So, and, and why should they? Because, you know, we've talked a long time about EUC, and but if you go back to what EUC stands for, 
end user computing. So the user is the most important um, component of that. Yeah. And we, we have, I think, I think we've returned to a focus and, and the things like technologies like DEX have, have refocused us around the end user and definitely the move to hybrid working because, you know, users are all just globally dispersed and, and need access to their applications so they can work. So they're not going to take, you know, crappy response to applications, applications not loading, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It, it's it's just so I think we've definitely all refocused on that on that application and um, end user experience component. You know, I, I I'd agree with you there, and I think that there's um, it's a step in the right direction, James, and, mm. and I'll tell you why I think it's a step in the right direction. When you think about digital experience, yeah, right, this concept of Dex. Dex is brilliant because all of a sudden you're in a situation where instead of getting a phone call that says it's not working mm. and you have to go through this <laughs> yeah. 13 step troubleshooting process, you end up really kind of focusing on the issue itself. Yeah. Right. You have data. It's a data driven approach as opposed to an emotional user calling. You. Exactly. The flip side of that is the fact that it is too late. Yes. It's a reactive measure. It's not a leading indicator of mm. the health of your user experience. Sure, sure. You get involved when someone's too far from a Wi-Fi point. Mm. You get involved when the infrastructure doesn't have enough compute. You yeah. get involved when an application breaks. The great thing that I'm starting to see now is that as these migrations are happening, because like, when was the last time, James, you sat down to with a customer and they said, I'm done. I'm not migrating anymore. I'm, I'm in my final state. <laughs> Never. Right? It I'm doesn't my, happen. I, I'm in my final state. So we just we just keep changing the name of what we're doing. And that's why we, we keep bringing in terms like digital transformation. Exactly. Stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it's an endless loop. So that endless loop needs to have a pre-deployment solution. It yeah. has to have a pre-deployment process mm -hmm. where you can ensure that you're delivering the highest quality user experience mm. prior to delivering the workspace. Yeah. That means the app's got to be right. The compute's got to be right. The workspace has to be right. Mm -hmm. Everything has to be set up in a way sure. that the user is going to be successful. Yeah. And I think that the support desk ticket and all of the data that's collected post-deployment and production should be the outlier, right? Yeah. So I think that everyone is starting to see a shift with the focus on good planning. Because you remember, like the VDI, when 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 AppDNA was acquired by Citrix, mm. there was a thing called Project Accelerator. Do you remember that? I have vague recollection of it. Okay. So we put quite a few developers on this, and it was basically a hosted website. Right. That allowed you to put in all of your metrics around what types of users are they task workers? Mm. Are they knowledge workers? Yeah. Oh, yes. And yes. Then, and yes. then you would say, where, how many sites do you have? Yeah. How many apps do you have? Mm. And it was meant to help you build out a thoughtful deployment plan. Yes. Right. And it was a great theory and concept. And it was, mm. a, I mean, it was so forward thinking mm. by Citrix at that time. Yeah. Nobody used it because mm. it was still hard. Yes. Right. Well, I, I remember like my my time with um, AppDNA, the installation process. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it was so hard to get up and running. Yeah. You'd have to have a SQL server, yeah. everything, all, all of these. So after a while, I just went, no, yeah. <laughs> I'll just, 
I'll figure something else out because it was just the, the complexity involved, as and you said. But the but the idea behind App DNA is brilliant, um, and, and I think I suppose that's what you guys at Remo Three are have you've taken the foundation of that and 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 you know made it uh, suitable for the modern age. Yeah, I think that's a fair way of putting it, right? People are like, is this AppDNA 2.0? Is it AppDNA 5.0? What is it? And, you know, to your point, AppDNA was created based off of a static analysis process. Yeah. And at that time, when you're moving from XP to Windows 7, yeah. you're looking for 16-bit deprecated components. You're mm-hmm. looking for, can something move to 64-bit? You're looking for compatibility issues. But you were moving from point A to point B, and that was a fairly linear journey. Mm. So static analysis was good enough. Even if we got 30% ambers, mm. you would still be able to say, okay, I've saved a lot of time because all my greens I'm going to deploy. Yeah, My ambers I have to investigate, my reds I have to fix. Sure. But now you take that and multiply it by the myriad of application formats and delivery options. Yeah. It's not just moving from XP to seven. I want to deliver an AVD persistent. I want to deliver an AVD non-persistent yeah. old. I want to deliver windows 365. I want to deliver physical. I want to deliver to windows 11. I, all of a sudden you take all these different file formats and you take all of these different workspace methodologies on how they can be delivered. The only way to really test it is by actually automating the installation and execution against the customer's workspace. Sure. Right? Because your workspace for Windows 11 AVD is different than my workspace yeah. for Windows 11, Windows 365. Sure. Of course. So I need to be able to test my applications mm. by actually installing them and executing them in a VM that is contextually relevant to my workspace. Yeah. So our approach at Remo 3 is I don't care how many permutations of application formats you want to deliver. Mm-hmm. Or how many permutations of workspaces that you are delivering via cloud or via physical or via virtual. I just need a VM of each of those instances and I can ensure that you're going to have a successful deployment. So our approach has been around taking all of the complexity and different permutations around delivery options between formats, workspace uh, builds, as well as how you're delivering them Mm. and saying, I can still execute automated testing to give you the confidence that you can deploy sure, success. Sure. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so just to focus a little bit on what we're doing together as, as Liquidware and um, Remo3. So obviously we've had our latest Flex app release 6.8.5 and it's got um, an API component. Yeah. Which is what you guys needed. Yes. So, so we can now integrate what you're doing and output that as a Flex app. So, so you can then, you know, you've done all your analysis of that, and then you have the, the file format, which can be put straight into your deployment. Exactly. And by the way, this is one of the things that we're starting to see now more often is, you know, I just talked about it during, yep. during my session, which, you know, we want to enable choice, which means that there will be heterogeneity, which means that there will be multiple app formats. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my opinion, Flex App One and App Vols are leaps and bounds better than anything that you know mm-hmm. Microsoft might have natively today, which could theoretically change. <laughs> I'm course. saying it as nicely as I possibly <laughs> can. Yeah, yeah. Um, but ultimately, if you start looking at customers and meeting them where they are and solving their need, I honestly believe that partnership between Remo Three 
getting apps out of Config Manager, ensuring that they work on a modern workspace, and ultimately helping them become FlexApp One packages that can be more easily managed, more streamlined, and delivered um, is a very compelling use case for our joint customers. I, 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 I agree, and I've had we've had some conversations today, and I think Andreas in his session today as well, you know, expanded on that on, on how. How, as you said, we can do. You can do the analysis from your side, and then the packages are out, output, and the flex app ones, and the flexibility. You know, <laughs> to use the flexibility they give you in the fact that you know they can be deployed to a plethora of. It doesn't matter what the endpoint is. If is it physical? Is it virtual? It doesn't matter because flex app ones don't interact with the operating system. They're independent of yeah. it. So yeah, I think I think it's a really good um, use case and. One we will definitely do more around and um, look at ways we can uh, relay that uh, message to to our uh, customers. So from your perspective, James, I mean, okay, onboarding FlexApp One packages, capturing them, creating them, fine. Let's say that that's all automated, mm-hmm. right? In terms of the real value of your overall solution as people are going to digital Going, I hate that term, digital transformation. But as they're going through whatever digital transformation, transformation. they're going through, <laughs> yeah. right? What do you see the overall liquidware value? Just take the flex app component, mm-hmm. and then potentially some of the management and some of the other capabilities around your platform. Yeah, I suppose. It, I suppose one thing is, you know, the fact that we are agnostic. We don't care if it's Citrix, VMware, Nerdio, yeah. Microsoft. We we can deliver across any of those platforms, physical. Um, and I suppose we have a holistic approach. A term we we uh, call digital workspace management is is the term we utilize. And you know, we add value. As you said, you've got your flex app component. We have profile unity and. You know, FlexApp One is a brilliant format, but yeah. if, if you've got a lot of application layers, then FlexApp is a better solution for that because what you, it enables you to do is reduce the number of layers that you have. And I think the overall value Liquidware add is reducing the complexity. Yeah, and, and that's that's what we're about. You, you know, and I suppose it's what a lot of vendors say, but I think we really do, and that's why. It's sometimes hard to pinpoint what we do, but if I had to do an overall messaging approach, is like reducing complexity, and that's 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 that's, that's you know that's the value we add is is taking what's really really complicated and making it simple. So see, it, and it's funny you say that, right? Because ultimately, that session I did today too was around reducing complexity and enabling choice. Yes. If you can't, I mean, those two things have to go. If you just reduce complexity of things that are being done the way that they've always been done, mm. historical inertia is not your friend. Yeah. Right. That's not a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you reduce complexity and enable choice and make things better yeah. at the same time, that's, that's what I try to continue telling all of the partners that we're working with on a regular basis. This is the path forward. Mm. We have to do both of these things. Yeah. You can't just do one. Exactly. And that's why if you look at um, the latest release of Profile Unity, we don't just support FlexApp. We can bring MSIX and we can manage them. We can do the same with AppV. So you have that one console for right. controlling all of them. And then if you find after time you want to convert those applications, we can. There's a whole conversion process built into the platform as well. So yeah, yeah, you have that as you said. You know, 
making it simpler and but giving choice at the same time. So you don't have to do this massive migration. You can just stick in Profile Unity and still manage your traditional app, app packages. That's great. Yeah, cool. Well, that, that's been really good. So just before we end, I wanted to chat a little bit about, you know, it's a topic you can't avoid, essentially. It, it's, it's everywhere. Now, the thing I, ha- I, I find is it's everywhere in our industry, but in the general wider population, I don't think it's as prevalent yet. We're like, oh my God, this is the next big thing. And, and some people are saying, what? What are you talking about? So what I'm talking about is AI. So from your perspective, what do you see as being the um, impact of AI on end user computing? You know, um, it's an interesting one, right? I mean, everyone talks about chat GPT all the time, <laughs> yeah. right? I, we know we all use it. But one of the interesting things that I was thinking about is that when you make that transition, I was talking about Health 2.0 yeah. to Health 3.0 today. Um, and for the listeners, it's really about being able to say, hey, Health 2.0 was applying scientific method, creating vaccines, very focused on pharmacology and treating symptoms mm. based on science, which yeah. is a huge value. Yeah. Health 3.0 is meant to be individualized healthcare based on metrics that are gathered by your watch, by sure. your rope band, by yeah. whatever it might be, yeah. uh, your sleep ring and all of those things. And then taking massive amounts of data mm. and looking for markers and correlations, which is what health is using AI for. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, it's using it as an explainer. Mm. So I had the good fortune of sitting down with James Davies uh, in Nashville, mm. and he is a uh, a great uh, contributor to the EUC community with a very specialized focus on AI. And I was explaining to him the challenges that come with change management, right? Because mm. then you have your workspace, which is con- constructed of thousands and hundreds of thousands of components. You have your applications, which are constructed of a thousand, hundreds of thousand components. Mm-hmm. If something lights up or a change happens in a registry key somewhere, how can you correlate what it's theoretically doing? Is it breaking an app? Is it mm. breaking a part of the workspace? So I think for us in end user compute, an interesting use of AI that I'm exploring is understanding giant sets of data around different workspaces and different applications, leveraging automation to continue doing model-based testing so that you can invoke different parts of the entire workspace and then take all that data and come down to root cause analysis. Use it as an explainer. Ah, yeah. yeah, Now all of a sudden Mm. you're using AI to manipulate millions of data points around this and look at results of tens of thousands of tests and say, guys, yeah, this is the explanation of why this is happening. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really cool use case. Uh, and I, I was I was talking to someone else about it, and I was like, you know, essentially the uses of AI are limitless. It, it's whatever your imagination can sure. imagine. And and you know, you've pinpointed one use case, but there is just so many different use cases. And it's not that you know it's going to take over. It's that it enhances and should you know add as we talked about simplicity, making things more simple through, um, through using AI for analysis and reporting and remediation and all that kind of thing. And, and, and and make, as we talked about earlier, you know, being, 
getting way more proactive and getting away from being reactive. Yeah, that's a real thing, right? Yeah. I mean, think about the fact that you can, if you can start becoming predictive mm. in terms of impacts that are going to happen, mm. you've got yourself a very compelling use case around enterprise DevOps. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, Samit, thank you so much for your time. This has been really brilliant. So uh, thanks very much. Appreciate you having me on, James. Thank Excellent. You. Thank you.